shoulder to shoulder. As I look down the ranks of my comrades, I wonder which of us are marked for the land beyond. These are the words of Private Alice Silas as he and his fellow soldiers boarded boats which would take them to where they would storm the beaches of the Gallipoli Peninsula. This event is a cornerstone of the histories of New Zealand and Australia and the point in time where these fledgling nations joined the world stage. Their combined fighting force, the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, came to be known as the Anzacs. Gallipoli, written by Peter Fitzsimons, tells the story of this ill-fated military campaign over an epic 800 pages. He covers from the call to arms, to the formation and training of the forces, the entirety of the eight-month campaign, and the subsequent aftermath and investigations. You see, the Dardanelles campaign, which was to commence with the landings at Gallipoli, were poorly conceived, badly managed, and ended up with 43,921 dead and 97,112 wounded over its eight-month run. Instead of being a landing followed by a rapid sweep across the land to Constantinople, the Anzacs landed on small beaches with cliff fronts populated by a well-armed and entrenched enemy hell-bent on defending their land. The success of the campaign had been vastly overestimated. Fitzsimons does an excellent job of communicating just how it all unraveled and how it was doomed almost from the beginning. After going through the formation and training of the Anzacs, the book spends the bulk of its time on the campaign. When on the battleground, we move from the various sites, from the shore of the beach where the ground commanders were marshalling the troops, to the hills and gullies the soldiers had to fight through. He switches between there on the front lines on the ground, and back in London from where the forces were being directed. On the London end of things, one thing that stood out from the book was the utter disregard and dehumanising of the soldiers on the ground and what they were facing. To the point where it even changed my opinion on Winston Churchill. Churchill, of course, is well known for being the legendary Prime Minister who led Great Britain during the Second World War. At the time of the Gallipoli campaign, he was the First Lord of the Admiralty, and his sheer selfish glee at using the Dardanelles campaign like some large-scale board game was disturbing. My God, he says to the Prime Minister's wife, Margot Asquith, at a small gathering at Warmer Castle, this, this is living history. Everything we're doing and saying is thrilling. It'll be read by a thousand generations. Think of that. Why, I would not be out of this glorious, delicious war for anything the world could give me. I was shocked at his attitude, like it was a game. Never mind the men getting ground into mints on the battlefield. Here's another example from the book. It's a message from Churchill to a frontline naval commander. A commander who, at the front line was acutely aware of the difficulties literally just off the bow of his ship. 
Yet Churchill shouts from his comfortable government London lodgings in a telegram, Two or three hundred casualties would be a moderate price to pay for sweeping up as far as the Narrows. Operation should now be pressed forward methodically and resolutely at night and day. The unavoidable losses must be accepted. I thought it really showed the disconnect between the politicians and those facing the bullets. But Churchill wasn't alone. When stating their case back to London about the gross miscalculation of the campaign, the commanders were basically ignored. Back at GHQ on HMT Arcadian, General Hamilton is still absorbing the disastrous news when a cable arrives from London in response to his request on 4th of May that he and his forces urgently need more artillery shells to be sent out. The ammunition supply for your force was never calculated on the basis of a prolonged occupation of the peninsula. It is important to push on. Hamilton was basically told we didn't calculate the right amount of ammo for you, so yeah, good luck. It's quite incredible. I learned something from this book too. Growing up on the Anzac legend in New Zealand, you usually only hear about the ground forces, but the book shows how much the naval forces were involved too. In troop transport, bombarding enemy positions on the mainland, and the submarines trying to find a way through the channel full of mines. The whole book was great, but there were two sections in particular that stuck in my mind. The Suvla Bay landings and the battle for Hill 60. On Hill 60, the Allied soldiers were fighting the Turks trench to trench, and sometimes in the same trench. One part describes the opposing forces in the same trench frantically flinging grenades at each other and trying to catch them and throw them back before they explode. Setting to with a will, the men work feverishly in the confined space, just five yards long, four foot six inches deep, four feet wide, with a foot of earth as a parapet. It does not stop, even when McNee is wounded twice in the head and in the hand, for he stays on. When Renton loses a leg, he reluctantly has to withdraw and be carried back, but the others still keep going in the now sticky trench. The leg is simply heaved over the side without ceremony. For every man who falls, another quickly comes forward. For all the gravity of the situation, still there is extraordinary levity on the Australian side. It was the best bit of sport I ever had in my life, one soldier would recall. With those surviving having many narrow escapes that cause high hilarity. In my mind, this perfectly sums up the madness of war and its truly absurd nature, right alongside the Aussie and Kiwi larrikin spirit. This is a long but greatly satisfying read. If you want a very readable way to learn about the Gallipoli campaign, Fitzsimons shrimp on the Barbie conversational writing style will have you turning page after page after page. Most of the jolly swagmen, by a billabong, under the shade of a cool 